I'm very thankful to be here with you today. It's been quite some time uh, since I got to see some of your faces. And it's a sweet opportunity to be together. Um, as Ian has already highlighted, I spend most of my time over at Kintorin as we're now having morning services at the same time at 10.30, it's become increasingly difficult to be here. And that's not for a want, a lack of want. Um, it's a necessity and it's been a good thing. I, I will just tell you, we've had some really sweet times together at Kintour recently. We've actually had just people walking in off the street, um, which is something we've been praying for. We've had people coming along uh, just I guess it was two weeks ago in particular, was a Sunday we had, I knew there were several families out. And when you're as small as we are, you like feel that, right? And so I was kind of bracing myself, being like, okay, it's going to be quite a small group together today. And on that Sunday, we had, I think it was four or five different households, some couples, some individuals that came along that normally don't associate with our church. And we had like a normal sized group and I was just like, okay, God, I, I get it. Like you're able to like just gather us together and do a work amongst us. And so all that to say, God's doing a good work there and we love you guys. We think of you often. We pray by name for you as a church very often. So um, know that there's no love lost there and that I'm very excited to be here with you today. And as Ian also said, what I'm sharing with you today has been a sermon series for four weeks. I promise I've chopped and chopped and chopped and I think it's a normal sized sermon, but we'll find out, right? Um, so uh, I wanted to start by saying that perhaps the most profound question that any human asks themselves is the question of why do I exist? And it, at different times and in different ways, that question seems to come to us. Uh, sometimes it floats gently into our consciousness. Maybe you've had an experience like I have where maybe you're going to sleep. You're, you're lying in your bed and that thought comes to your mind. Why am I here? Like, why do I exist? What makes me me? And then at other times, that question almost seems to grab us by the collar and scream at us in the midst of adversity and say, why on earth am I here? And so this question comes, but it's not only the question itself that's important. What's also important is how we answer it. So how would you answer it? I want to put that to you today. Why do you exist? Now, if I was to take a microphone and go around this room or even maybe go out into the neighborhood and knock on some door and say, why do you exist? We'd get a myriad of answers, right? Some people would say, well, I'm not sure. Others would say, well, I, I think I'm here to be happy or to live a good life or to be a good person. Others would say, well, no, that, that's an impossible question. Like, nobody knows that. That's an unanswerable question. Still others, and hopefully a lot of you, would say, well, God is why I exist. If you've had some sort of uh, training or, or maybe theological background, you may say, I'm created by God and for His glory. That's a very r robust way of saying why we exist. But that, in fact, is what a Christian believes. That's what the Bible teaches. And there's an older, well, still contemporary, but older church song that sings about that. This song was released in 2001. So 20 years ago, a guy named Charlie Hall wrote a song that was called One Thing. And in, well, I used to chuckle with this song because 
the bridge of this song, I don't know if you know this song, but in the bridge of this song, the lyrics went like this. It said, all of life comes down to just one thing. And so you're kind of on the edge of your seat, right? You're like, okay, what's he going to say? Next line of this song. And it says, that's to know you, O Jesus. And you're like, right, right on. But he doesn't stop. He goes, and to make you known. And you want to be, throw up your hands and be like, come on, man. Like you just said, life is about one thing. And you told me two things. It's, it's about knowing you, O Jesus, and making you known. Which one is it? But the more that I reflect actually on that song the more I actually agree with the songwriter. All of life is about God. And inside of that reality, there are two callings. One calling is, yes, a vertical calling to know God, but the other calling is a horizontal one to make Him known. Life is all about God, but inside of that, yes, there's two realities. One we will call vertical, knowing God. The other horizontal, making Him known. And I think in church circles, in particularly in the West, where we live, we're relatively comfortable with this idea of knowing God or or having conversation about that. We do whole sermon series like we've done about knowing God, His attributes, His characteristics. But as soon as we start to talk and shift our conversation to making Him known, we start to get quite uncomfortable. And perhaps that's because... There's a cultural barrier there. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was catching up with a pastor friend who works here in Aberdeen, and he reminded me in our conversation of the three no-go areas in uh, just normal social settings. You guys know what I'm talking about here. One is finances, like you're just not meant to go there, right? Have conversations about finances. The second is politics, and the third is what? Religion, thank you. You know what I'm talking about. And yet, as we read the Bible, it's very hard for us to escape from the fact that God has called every Christian to proclaim his reality and his grace. Rather than me just spouting that to you as opinion, let's look at this together in God's Word and see what God says about this. So, the invitation is to find a Bible. And to read with me, I'm purposely not put the actual scriptures on there because I want you to open a Bible, okay? So maybe that's a little cheeky, but Matthew 28 is where I'd love for you to turn. We'll spend time here and in one other passage, okay? So Matthew 28, and as you're turning there, we need to understand that the context of this verse is hugely important. If you look at the heading of chapter 28, it says, The Resurrection. And what that means is that Jesus has just come back to life. What that means is that he has beaten sin and its, its ultimate consequence, which is death. So this is an important moment. And if you're one of Jesus' followers who has witnessed not just his death, but his resurrection, what are you thinking in this moment? Well, you're looking at this guy that you saw die and he's come back to life. And you're probably thinking, okay, here we go. We're about to go into Jerusalem. We're going to kick out the Romans, and this is going to be awesome. And yet what they come to discover here is that Jesus is planning to leave. He's coming back eventually, but he's planning to leave them. And so whatever Jesus is about to say to to them is probably hugely important. Imagine if you had just a few minutes left with a family member or a friend that you didn't think you were going to see again or for a very long time. 
whatever you say to them is probably going to be hugely important. And so what Jesus says here in Matthew 28 is hugely important. Verse 18, let's read it together. It says this, And Jesus came to them, sorry, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now just pause there for a sec. That's awesome. What he's saying is, I've beaten death. I've beaten sin. I'm the King of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. That is, that's an awesome statement. But he doesn't finish there. He goes on and says this, Go, therefore, because I'm the King of kings, because I'm the Lord of lords, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, soon after this, ascended into heaven and he hasn't returned in bodily form since then and what that means is this age that he's talking about which we call the age of the church hasn't yet finished it's not yet completed and what that also means is that this call to his followers which for is a lot of us in this room his disciples has not changed. This commission, this call, this charge, it still applies to us today. A Christian's main purpose in living in this world is not to get a good education. It's not to have a good career. It's not to build a nice house or to give our kids good experiences. Our main purpose is not to work hard so that we can enjoy a comfortable retirement. Our purpose, as clear as day, is to make God known. Verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So to be a Christian is to be a sent person. Every Christian has this call. Every Christian has this purpose. And we're going to look at, in a few moments, what it means to embrace this call, to have a posture that says, okay, if that's what God's calling me to, how, how do I do that? We're going to talk about that in a moment, but before we do that, let's talk about a couple of postures that are not as good or helpful as that. Postures that we actually sadly find in Christians. The first posture we will call the posture of ignorance. This is the one where we may flat out ignore this instruction, this call. Sadly, many of you may know people who claim to be Christians and yet turn people away from Christ. They say that they know Jesus, but their life and their words make us cringe. They actually push people away from faith and believing in God. Maybe some of you have seen a Christian post something on social media and you're like, oh my goodness, that is not helpful, that is not good. That pushes people away from faith. Or maybe some of you know somebody in your neighborhood or in your workplace who goes to church and yet everybody wants nothing to do with them because, again, they, they push people away. And as much as I've said we know of people, maybe sometimes this is even us, the ones. Has that been us at times, pushing people away from God? The second unhelpful posture is one we'll call indifference. This, is, this happens when we are indifferent to the call that we find here in Matthew 28. 
And we also find, by the way, in Acts chapter 1, we hear the passage like this, that Matthew 28, which, by the way, we've, we've called the Great Commission, and we think of it as not the Great Commission, but a good suggestion. Something for, you know, really intense Christians. This is, the, this is a commission for church leaders, right? Or for extroverts, or people with the gift of the gab, or people maybe with the spiritual gift of evangelism. Has this at times been us dismissing the call to share because it feels so uncomfortable or because it's just not convenient and it really feels like more of a suggestion for somebody else? The answer to both of these posture problems is actually the message we are called to share itself. What Jesus is calling the disciples to share and calling us to share is called the gospel, a.k.a. the good news. And when the good news doesn't feel that good to us, we won't really want to share it. But if the good news is truly good to us, we won't be able to stop sharing it. Have you ever come across somebody who's really passionate about something? Maybe they'll, it's a person who's really obsessed, we'll just use that word kindly, with a diet or an exercise program, or, or maybe a hobby, a TV show, or some sort of social justice cause, how easy is it to get that person to stop talking about that thing? Not very, right? It, it doesn't matter if they're an, an extrovert or an introvert, their passion will naturally overflow. In fact, Liz and I have a friend in Texas, this awesome young lady, but we would describe you, her to you as probably the shyest person that we've ever met. And yet, if you start talking to her about one of her passions, like dogs, wow, look out. Like, you'll have oodles of conversation with her. And so, what we need to understand is that when we see this good news as really being good, it will, yes, naturally overflow. So how do we feel about this good news? Is it good to us like it was to these first followers of Jesus in Matthew 28? They, as they heard this command to go and make disciples, knew Jesus was their Savior. They knew that Jesus loved them. They knew that He had died for them and wanted to be with them forever. We too can truly feel the goodness of those good newses, those good things. And when we do, the command to go and to make God known shifts from being a have to to being a get to. That's a paradigm shift. When we really receive God's love, it becomes something we cannot contain. It's like an overfull river that overflows its banks. Our lives and our lips will naturally share of this great passion that has filled our hearts. So as we've taken a moment to pause and to talk about ignorance and indifference to this call to make God known, let's turn now and say, okay, if we are open to it, if we are open to God's call on our life to make Him known, what does the right response look like? And to help us with that, I, I want to invite you to turn with me to one more passage, to Colossians chapter 4. At the end of the book of Colossians, we have a really succinct and beautiful description of what it looks like 
to make God known. And so I'm just going to turn there and invite you to do the same. What we find here is three essentials for living the Christian life and for making God known. We're just going to read verse 2 through 6. It's this small little paragraph, but read it with me. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I, it's Paul writing, am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I want to encourage you to believe with me that these instructions go beyond some ancient missionary named Paul talking to some friends who lived 2,000 years ago in a city that doesn't even exist anymore, called Colossae, because that's what this is. I believe that God inspired Paul to write these words, knowing that they'd be helpful and instructive for us here today, 2,000 years later. The very first thing that we find here, as we ask this question, okay, how do I live this Christian life? How do I make God known? The very first thing that we find here is what? We find prayer and instruction for prayer. Prayer is the vital link between ourselves and God. Just as a marriage or a friendship fails without good communication, we too need to have good communication with God. The Christian life depends on it. And if we're wondering what this prayer needs to look like, the words preceding it are also instructive. Two words, continue steadfastly. God desires for us to faithfully, regularly stay in touch with Him. And this isn't because He's needy. It's because we are. Prayer is essential in enabling us to fulfill the call to make God known. And so how are we to pray? Well, if you read here, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We're called to be watchful. That means to be vigilant, awake, alert, and also to be thankful. And so I can stand up here today and say, hey, guys, we need to make God known. And to do that, we need to pray. And when we pray, we need to be watchful and thankful. And you guys might be like, okay, great. But what does that look like practically? Let's just think through a very practical, tangible example, hoping that will be helpful. I want you to imagine that you have a new person that enters your sphere of life. Maybe it's a new person coming into your workplace, or, or maybe if you're a student, it is a, a new classmate coming into your class. And as this person comes into your sphere of life, that's what we'll call it, you have one of two choices. One is to say, oh, okay, there's a new person. Maybe I'll get to know them. That's one response. But as a Christian, as we remember that we are called to share this amazing love that we've received ourselves, what does it look like to be prayerful and watchful and thankful in prayer? Well, it may sound like this, a praying a prayer that sounds like this, God, thank you for your great love. Thank you for giving me the opportunity not just to receive your love, but to share it with others. 
God, thank you for placing, put the name of that person here, placing such and such into my life. Please give me an opportunity to point them towards you today. What would happen if we all started to pray prayers like that? What would we see in our church? I want for us, I I yearn for us to be a church that thinks and prays like that with great intentionality. Praying, being watchful and thankful in prayer. As we continue on in verse 3 and 4, there's more instructions on prayer actually. What Paul says is, hey, guys, we need you to pray for us too. Pray for the mission and what God's doing around the world. He's off, you know, writing this letter from a distant place and saying, hey, pray for the work that's going on here. And this is a good reminder that we too need to lift our eyes in prayer and pray for the greater mission around the world. Because when we do that, two really important things happen. One is it helps us to not feel isolated and alone. Sometimes the Christian life feels very lonely. And yet when we start to pray for you know, the work that God's doing in Malawi, or we start to pray for what God's doing in Afghanistan and ask Him to do a a miraculous work there, that lifting of our eyes reminds us that we're not soloists working on some mission of God alone. We're not James Bond all out there by himself. We are a part of a great conglomerate, a great team doing God's work. The second reason that praying, lifting our eyes to pray beyond ourselves is good is because God hears and answers those prayers. Jesus himself said in Luke 10, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus didn't just say that because he wants to hear from us more often. No, he intends to hear and answer those prayer requests. And so, as we read this passage, it's interesting to note that all three, the, that bigger first paragraph, is all about prayer. Prayer is so absolutely important to the Christian life and, yes, to making God known. However, as we jump on to the next verse, verse 5, it starts to address another essential for making God known. And so read it with me again. It says this, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, when it says walk here, it's not talking about physically walking. In fact, if you look up that word in a Bible dictionary, it means to conduct one's life. So what it's saying is conduct your life with wisdom towards outsiders. Wise living is essential in enabling us to fulfill the call to make God known. So the call is to conduct our lives with wisdom towards outsiders. By the way, it's probably good to just... Put a little pause here and say, when we hear that word outsiders, don't be offended by that. Don't take that as a negative term. We live in a culture that tends to do that. There is a very clear line that the scripture is trying to paint for us, a real line between those who are a part of the family of faith and those who are not yet a part of the family of faith. And I say yet because anyone, anyone is a potential candidate for God's amazing saving work. So as we read this text and as we think about, you know, living our lives in a way, conducting our lives in a way to make God known, what does that mean in a way that is impressive to somebody outside of the faith? What it means is that we should live in a way that commends the truths that we speak of. 
We should live our ways in a way that looks different, but different in a good way, in an appealing way. You may have heard it said before, and I think it's actually a really helpful phrase. We need to, as Christians, earn the right to be heard. We should live in such a way that causes people to question in a good way what we believe. There's great biblical examples of this. One of my favorites in the Old Testament is Daniel and his friends. As you read their story, what you see is that they look quite different, but good different, and the people around them take note of that. They listen to what they have to say. They listen. They will learn about God because they live differently. If you go to the New Testament, there's this funny story where the Jewish leaders take in two of the disciples, Peter and John, early leaders in the church. And it says in Acts 4 that the leaders perceived they were uneducated common men and they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Are our lives, like Peter and John, an arrow pointing to Jesus? Are we being intentional with our time? Can people tell that there's something different just by the way we live, by the way that we use our time, our energy, our resources? This call for wisdom is not the only instruction we see. In fact, if you go on to verse, further on in verse 5, it tells us that this wisdom specifically should include us using our time well. And there's a whole reminder here, I could preach a whole sermon on using our time well, but basically what it's telling us is that our time is a precious gift and one which we'll have to give an account for. We were given our lives, our time, our lives were bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Are we making the best use of our time, especially when it comes to outsiders? As we go on to verse 6, it's like it changes gears again. And it gives us the third essential for making God known. If you reread verse 6 with me, it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Proclamation using our mouths, is essential in fulfilling the call to make God known. We get uncomfortable with that, but it's just true. We do at times need to speak of the goodness of God in the context where God places us. As we look at this verse in particular, there's three main threads about our speech that this verse seems to pick up on. The first one is the call to be gracious, and I think we typically get that. When you have an opportunity to share what you believe or to talk about God and His love, be kind. Don't be mean about it. Be gentle and, and gracious in your speak, speech. The second thread that I pick up on is this phrase where it says that our conversation is to be seasoned with salt. And that's where we want to be like, hey, okay, hold up for a second. Put on the brakes. What, what does that mean to have our conversation seasoned with salt? And this is where it's helpful to dig into that. What does salt do? Salt, if you put salt on meat or on vegetable, it brings out the flavor. And much in the same way, when we speak in a way that God calls us to, we bring out the best. In fact, if you go to the message paraphrase, that's how it translates this verse. It says, bring out the best in your conversation. That's what we're called to do to bring out the best. So when a coworker or a classmate or somebody that we know, a family member, comes to us and says, hey, I've got this problem in my life, or we know of something going on in their life, we are with our words to bring out the best, 
to point them to the hope and the love that is found in Jesus with our words. And this speaks directly into the third thread, which is the call to know how to answer. It says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This speaks to appropriateness in our response, thoughtfulness, preparation. And as I read that, I want to ask myself and you, do we know how to graciously and fittingly respond to people with our words? In fact, do we really know how to respond with any of the things we've talked about? Just zoom out with me for a second. We've talked about prayer. Do we really pray as we could and should all of the time for those who don't yet know know Jesus? Do we live our lives with intentionally? Do our lives really look like an arrow pointing to Jesus? Do we use our words as we should? And I'm guessing if, if you were to sit down and give me an honest answer, it would look a lot like my honest answer, which is a, a no. One of the early church leaders, a guy named James, said, we all stumble in many ways. And I think that that is true. Every Christian will fail in these things that we've said are essential things. Prayer, living intentional lives, sharing our faith with our words. We all fail. In fact, oftentimes the Christian life is likened in the Bible to running a race, an endurance race. And if that's so, what are we to do when we trip and fall? Because that's what we're talking about here. We all fail in these things from time to time. And in those moments when we do fail, when we do fall, we must remember again what the good news itself is. The good news is that God loves us, that he forgives us for all our failures, even our failure to love him and to make him known as we should. Coming back to this good news again is what picks us up and enables us to run, to continue to run with endurance. So as we pray, as we seek to intentionally live lives that point to Jesus, as we prayerfully take the opportunities to speak with our words about Jesus, it is essential that we remember that as we do all of this, we are called to, yes, proclaim Jesus, to proclaim God, and also to trust Him with the results. I think as we have this conversation about making God known, often we put this burden of weight and expectation on our shoulders to say, well, I've just got to pray the right prayer. I've got to live the right way. I've got to say the right thing. That will be what gets this person over the line of faith. But that's not true. Every person that comes to faith is a miracle and it is a work of God. Yes, we are privileged to join God in that work. But ultimately, it is God that saves, not us. The best illustration is the one that Jesus used, where he said that a a farmer plants and waters the seed, but ultimately, it's God who brings the growth. We pray, yes. We live our lives, yes, with great intentionality. We are to speak out the good news, but it's God that changes people's hearts. And there's freedom in that. As you consider these things, I just want to kind of wrap this up with a series of questions. So just bear with me. There's a number of questions coming your way. 
The first important one is this. Do you believe the good news? Is the good news, like we've said, good to you? Are you a Christian? I don't want to assume that you believe the things that I'm talking about here today. Let's start with that question. And if you're unsure, stop with that question. Sit with that question. Consider that question. And I would invite you, today is a day that you can know that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who died for you to make you right with him. You are, yes, a sinful person. We all are. But God has a way for you to be right with him. And if you have questions about that, let's talk about it after the service. I'll be here. But just know that today. That's where maybe you need to park if you're not sure where you stand with God or if this good news is actually that good. If you are convinced that the good news is good, if you would call yourself a Christian, what do you need to hear today? Is there something that needs to change? Is there something you need to pray? Maybe it's to pray for opportunities to start to make God known. That's a scary prayer, but a good one. Maybe it's to pray for boldness. Some of Jesus' followers actually soon after Matthew 28 went and did that, and he answered that prayer. In fact, it says when they prayed that prayer, the whole building shook where they were praying. Maybe it's to pray for boldness. I, I think that's one I need to pray. Maybe there's somebody on your mind in particular that God is placing on you, uh, on your mind and your heart to pray for specifically and to look for opportunities to share with. In fact, over at Kintor, I encouraged our church congregation to think of one person to pray for daily between now and the end of the year. Maybe you'd like to join in that. My specific encouragement was to find your phone and to put a daily reminder. We can very quickly on a Sunday say, yeah, I'm going to do that, and then we forget about it. So put a reminder in your phone to pray for that person that he's laying on your heart. Consider what God is saying, and then I want to invite you to respond in these next few moments. And as you get ready to do that, I want to just paint for you one last picture I have in my mind a really beautiful picture of what it may be like, I'm not sure, but what it may be like walking into eternity. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're on the edge of eternity. And in front of you, what you can see is that Jesus has returned and that all of creation is being new. You can see the new heavens and the new earth. In front of you, everything is perfect. And in front of you is Jesus sitting there in all his glory. You you see him completely. And you're in awe and wonder. Your heart is full of worship, full of joy. Every, Every cell in your body seems to be excited. But in that moment, standing next to you, imagine that somebody standing next to you is somebody that you've had the privilege of sharing the good news about Jesus with. And the Holy Spirit saved them. It wasn't you, but he saved them. He did a work in them. And they're standing there walking into eternity with you. I don't know about you, but I want that experience. I really do. I don't know how you feel about that, but may that be. Let that be, God. May there be people that we get to share this great hope, this great gospel with. 
and get to walk into eternity with. Praise God that we don't have to, but we get to join Him in this incredible work that has eternal significance. If you're a Christian, you, like me, are called to make God known. Let's not shy away from that call. Let's embrace it. And by God's grace, let's walk forward knowing that that's who we're called to be, people who make God known. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you have given us the privilege, that's what it is, the privilege of joining you in the work of making you known. And God, we thank you that in spite of all our shortcomings in this, in spite of the fact that we really mix up our words sometimes or we just live in a way that's not great, in spite of that, you are still able to work, that you are still able to save. Like we sing, God, you are mighty to save. God, we pray that you would help us to embrace and increasingly embrace this call to not just know you, but to make you known. God, we just admit together that at times that makes us feel uncomfortable. But God, would you give us boldness to know how even now to appropriately respond. And as we go out this week as your ambassadors in the places that we believe you have strategically placed us, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our circles of family and friends, May we remember that we are called to be there as a light of the gospel. May your light shine brightly through us. Thank you for forgiving us when we fail to do this. But God, in this moment, even right now, would you pick us up, dust us off, and enable us to run towards this goal of making you known. Thank you, God, that you hear us. Help us to know how to respond now. Amen.